gotten a lot of good gifts. Um, I never forget my first guitar I got on Christmas. Um, a harmony, acoustic guitar. I beat it into the ground. Man, that guitar just beat it into the ground. And later on, my wife got me my ovation. Um, um, I've had stuff made by my kids that I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> you ever get that? One year we got one, and it was a couple of years later, my, my other son told me what it was that we got. We keep those in our house. Gifts are precious. Gifts are precious. But I always think of the reality that we have been given a wonderful gift. The creator of the universe, God, was born in a manger for us. A free gift from God. In Galatians, this is what it reads, starting at verse 1. Think of it this way, Paul writes. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance to his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything in their father's house. They have to obey their guardians, until they reach whatever age the father sets. And that's the way it is with us in, before we came to Christ. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the Lord, he sent him to buy freedom from us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. May the Lord bless his word. Isn't that wonderful stuff? Let me tell you something. With God, everything is timing. Everything with God is timing. At the appropriate time, God sent his son. A time set by the Father. Now the commentators will tell you that that time was set because the Roman Empire was just at the right place. Roman roads were there. And the, there was a universal language of Greek and Latin throughout the society that, that people were basically literate to some degree. That, that, that when the gospel shows up in that environment, it's, it's ready to spread. I personally believe that it's the right time because God is merciful and gracious and is long and suffering and patient and he waited for the right time when the optimum number of people could come to know him as Savior and Lord. I want you to think about it. We give our spiritual birth. Goes all the way back to that appropriate time. We're connected to that. We must not forget this one thing that Peter writes. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years like a day. I think of that all the time around Christmas. 
grandkids. Can't wait for Christmas. Can't wait. Whether they believe in Santa Claus or not, or they know gifts are going to show up. And they can't wait. They can't wait. The Lord isn't really slow about what he has promised, like some people think. No, he will be patient for our sake. He does not want anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. I believe God waited for the right time when he could maximize the people he could bring into his kingdom. And that's when he said, time for my son to go. The right time. I have some friends in New York. They suffer from chronic late-itis. Chronic. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We stayed with them one weekend, Belinda and I, and we figured out why they're late all the time. They're late all the time because they can't adjust their program. They can't adjust. They can't adjust the people. When you're late, you don't stop for, for breakfast at Denny's. When you're late, you have enough gas to get to church, you go to church. When you're late, you have to put your clothes out the night before. And so they're never on time. Never on time. I mean, they're always, I'm not, I'm not talking about minutes late. I'm talking about hours late. These are hour late people. And because they're never on time, they're unreliable. Okay? You don't wait for them. You know what I mean? You're sitting at a dinner. You're not waiting for them. Because you'll go hungry. And if they're bringing something to the dinner, you don't want to wait for that either because they're not going to bring it cooked. They're going to bring it in pans. They have to make it and cook it and stuff. But they're unreliable because they're never on time. Our God proved to be reliable and trustworthy because he's always on time. He is never late. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is always on time. He keeps his appointments. And at the appropriate time, the scripture says, when the time was right, when everything was as it was supposed to be, God sent his son. Now, don't miss that. Don't miss that. God sent his son. God sent his son. He didn't create the son or make the son or form the son. He sent the son. In other words, he was pre-existent and he was just waiting to be sent. The idea is if you have a servant and you say, now it's time for you to go and pick that up. God sent his son. He had an appointment. Time was right. Time to go. And when he came, this is the gift of Christmas. The creator of the universe comes in the flesh, born in a manger. So what do we get from that? Paul tells us. We get, number one, the gift of redemption. He brought us back. Oh, you all know what this looks like. Layaway. Right? Any of y'all do layaway? You get a gift. Present. You put a couple of dollars down, and then you keep paying to it, and then you can pick it up. But I want you to think about 
our situation, why we had to be redeemed. We were worse than layaway. Because while we were in the bondage of sin and death in the law, we're on layaway, right? And we're trying to pay, set ourselves free. But as we're trying to pay, being good and being right, going to church and doing, the price is also going up. So the, the, that, that thing you have at layaway, you know, it's like $10. You pay $5 and you think, oh, I only got $5. You come back to the guy says, no, it's 15 and you pay another 10 and the guy comes back and no, it's 25. And you pay 25, then you come back and the guy says, no, 55. And you keep paying and paying and paying and you never get redeemed. So God had to buy us back. He had to pay the full price at the moment to buy us out of the slavery of sin. He dies on the cross. He pays the debt and then he sets us free. I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. That we're sitting on the shelf, dead in our trespasses and sins. Trying with our flimsy righteousness to, to get ourselves free. And the price just keeps going up and up and up. And let me tell you something. If you're caught up in sin, it's, 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 it's a burden. It's a load. Sinning is hard work. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. Man, it, it just beats you down. And then we well up with some good idea that, oh, maybe I'll go to church and maybe that'll help. And then we feel even more guilty. Somebody's got to pay the full price at the appropriate time. God sent his son to redeem us. To redeem us from sin and death and the bondage of the law. So the first gift we get is this redemption. The second gift we get is freedom. Now, I don't think of this freedom the way we think of freedom in our society. We think of freedom in our existence, the freedom to do whatever I want to do. That is not the biblical definition of freedom. The Bible never teaches that you will be totally free to do whatever you want to do. Nobody has that kind of freedom. We are free to be under the control of the creator and to do what he wants us to do. My first car was a 1967 Ford Fairlane. I love that car, blue car. 67 Fairlane, yeah baby. I was cruising. And I loved that car. I literally redeemed that car from my brother. It broke down on my brother. He took the plates off. He said it was done. I said, if I want to get can I have it? He said, yep. I ran, pushed it into this mechanic, found out it was just a loose wire, fixed it up, and it was my car. I redeemed it for 23 bucks. And I love that car. Man, I drove it all the time. Every now and then it would break down, and I'd fix it up, and 
Man, it was my first car. And at one point, that car died and would not run again. That Ford Fairlane became a Nova. Nova, it would not go. <laughs> and as much as I loved that car, as much as I had invested in that car, I had to take the plates off and call Victory Auto and have it towed to the heap and got 75 bucks for it. It pained me to get rid of that car. But it stopped doing what a car was designed to do. I want you to think about it. We were created for God to worship and enjoy him forever. But in our own rebellion, we refuse to do what we were designed to do and we rebel against God. And why don't we think that God who loves us so much sent us for How long do you think he will strive with us who rebel against him? At some point he has to say, time out. That's not what I created them to do. People say, how could God be so mean to send people to hell? How can a, I ask the question, how can a loving God who created us to worship, how long is he going to be tolerant of rebellious children? None of us like rebellious children. I'm in the grocery store and I hear kids talking back to their parents. I want to become a parent again. Belinda has to say, not your child, not your child, not your child. Because I want to go there and say, son, you better stop talking to your mother that way. I'm going to take you in the restroom and we're going to have time with God. But that's what happens. We have become slaves to ourselves, to sin and rebellion. And we have this group of people say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I can be whatever. No, no, no. You can be everything God intended you to be. Within the will and the purposes of God, you have total and complete freedom. Outside of the will and purposes of God is nothing but slavery and bondage. So the alcoholic says, man, I'm free. I'm free to get drunk. I can drink anything I want. Well, you're not really free. Or the drug addict is, says, I'm, I'm free. Man, I'm just going to be what I want to be. I can take. I'm only smoking a little weed. You're not free. We are all slaves to our sin, whether it's gossiping or lying or cheating on our taxes or picking up the $20 bill that the person dropped in front of us and not giving it back. We are all slaves to our sin. And so we have to have the Lord, the God of glory, not only redeem us, but set us free. And let me say something. There are many of us who are sitting here today have songs of the soul set free. Many of us in this place were alcoholics, drug addicts, felons, adulterers, immoral. But the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shined in our lives. 
and we were set free. And yeah, we make mistakes. Hey, we're sinners. But if we confess our sins, he is more than faithful. More than faithful to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only have we been redeemed, but we have been set free. And I wish we could communicate to a generation of people who are in bondage to all sorts of sins. There is so much freedom in the name of Jesus. There is so much deliverance. There is so much hope. If you would just trust him. Not only have we been redeemed, the gift of redemption, not only do we have the gift of freedom, but we have been adopted into his family. We are adopted as children. There's people here that have adopted kids. My, my youngest son is adopted. It's an interesting process, adoption. The agency calls you up and says, we got a baby for you. Okay. You pick up the child and you sign a couple of legal documents. A couple. And that child... You become the guardian of that child. But that's not your child yet. The child lives with you. You name the child. You feed the child. But it's not the child. You're just a guardian. And then after a year, case studies and home studies and more paperwork and a lot of money. You stand before the judge. And it's interesting, when, when the judge comes, you have to bring the whole family. The judge says, you have to bring a whole family. A whole, so all my kids, all of us stood before the judge. My two other kids, Belinda and I, stood before the judge. He says, all right, are you ready for this? And he signs some documents and stamps some things, and he says a couple of words. And at that moment, Jonathan becomes legally my... Now, he's been living with me for a year now. Eating my food, throwing up on my stuff, you know what I mean, the whole, you know I mean, the whole gamut. He has been functioning in his world as if he is my child. And I have been functioning as if he's my son. So when people ask me, who's that baby? I don't say, this is the quasi-baby, he's about to be my son. No, this is my son. But it really, he really becomes my son when the transaction was made before the judge. And then he assumes all the rights and privileges of being a Smith child. He was adopted. And the Bible says that we were adopted. Before that, we were illegitimate. We were just out there. Now some of us were acting as if we were God's children, but we were not. Until the transaction is made, that we become legally his, we are not his child. And when we become his child, we receive all the blessings of what it means to be a child of God. Now we all know that, but in Roman law, not only did you acquire all the blessings of what it meant to be a child, you also acquired all the debts and responsibilities of what it meant to be a child. Oh, we'd like to talk about the blessings of what it means to be a child of God. 
I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Oh, I, li- I-, I like that part of the chorus. Oh, I like all the privileges and benefits. I like having God as my father. But do I also want to assume the obligations of what it means to be a child of God? That comes with the deal of adoption. You just can't pick the benefits without also assuming the obligations. When you're a child, you assume both the benefits and the obligations of being a part of that family. And don't get me wrong, being a part of the Smith family, there was obligations. We had rules in our home. We don't care what you do on a Friday night, where you are, how late, you're in church on Sunday morning. That's a non-negotiable. And if you're old enough to have a debate about that, you know, if you want to have a discussion about that, then maybe you should live someplace else. And I, have th- I threw my son out of my house. He said some stuff to Belinda. And I said, dude, you're second. She was first. In, in, the, in the pecking order, you got to go. Oh, you wouldn't do that. Came home there and all his stuff was packed up. <laughs> I'm going to love you, but it's going to be from a distance. Obligations. We're, don't we all have rules and regulations? You don't come smoking in my house. You don't put on that loud music with all that cussing and all that other stuff in my house. When we cook and eat, we put before you, you eat what's set before you. This is not McDonald's or a restaurant. Every home has to wise that we think when we come to God, we have no obligation, no responsibility. That he's not requiring of us anything. Well, let me tell you something. He says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are also to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded. The great command and the great commission. We are, it's not the great recommendations and the great suggestions. This is the obligation of what it means to be a child. Come on. You want to be a part of the family of God? Get all the blessings and rights and privileges of what it means to be a part of the family of God? Well, welcome to also all the obligations and requirements and restrictions of what it also means to be a part of the family of God. Welcome to the family. This weekend I had the the joy of being with all my kids. Judy came in from California. Brought her husband, Jeff. I've talked about it before. I never forget when Jeff came came for Thanksgiving and wanted to talk to Judy, talk to us about getting married. I told Judy, warn that boy. Don't let him come into this family ill-prepared to deal with us. She says, what do you mean? I said, oh, we're going to be kind of direct. I also said, I, I tried my best to behave. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would try my best. It's part of what comes with adoption. And let me say something to you. There may be somebody here who is not part of the family of God. 
And you're saying this, oh man, this, this obligation stuff, this, you know what I mean? It's too much, it's too hard. You know, Paul didn't leave that out either. He gives us the gift of redemption. He gives us the gift of freedom. He gives us the gift of adoption. But he also says he has sent us the spirit of his son. No one can keep the obligations by themselves. We can't. So what God has done is he has put his spirit inside of us. And now we have access to supernatural power. Supernatural power. To say no to the things we used to say yes to. And to say yes to the things we used to say no to. That all of a sudden our consciences have been made alive. That, that, so that we, we, we see evil. We see sin. We're aware of our faults. We're aware of our limits. We, 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 we cry out for help. And God shows up in our existence to deliver us from evil. Because we have the Spirit living in us. He's given us the gift of His very Spirit in us. When I talk about the Spirit of God, I wish I was a charismatic for a couple of minutes. I really do. I, I just wish. I wish I could impress upon you how wonderful it is to have the Spirit of God living inside of us. That how much that is a resource to help us live the Christian life in victory and success. How that guides us in our prayers. How it opens up the scriptures to us. How it helps us witness to the lost. How it helps us to relate to one another. How, how I just wish we could catch a grasp of what it means to have Christ in us. The power of God. The spirit of his dear son dwelling in us. That's the resource we have to live the Christian life. To be what God wants us to be. To see things the way God wants us to see them. To relate to each other in a way that's so much deeper than potlucks and cookies and coffee after a service. It's so much deeper than that. We say, oh, that's spirit stuff. That's for those people jumping over the pews and stuff like that. Brothers and sisters, it's for us. Christ in us. The spirit of his dear son. What does the spirit of his dear son give us? It says that, that he has given us the spirit of his dear son into our hearts. And what does it do? It's prompting us to call out to the father. Abba, Father. That when the Spirit comes in and fills us, it gives us an awareness that we need God. And that we can trust Him. And that we can speak to Him about all of our concerns. The way you know that the Spirit is inside of you and doing its work inside of you, your time of prayer and communication with God is deep and vital. 
Barner did a study and he said that the average Christian only prays like five minutes a week. I guess that includes asking for blessings over the meals. That's not much prayer. If you only pray when you come to church, when you're looking for a parking spot at the mall, or when you're in trouble, your Christian life is going to look like one who only prays at meals and only for a parking spot at the mall or only when you're in trouble. We have a relationship with God where we can call him daddy. Papa. We have access to him that is so much better than it used to be. And if that is true, then I should cast all of my concerns, all of my cares, all of my worries, all of my problems, all of my decisions before him because he actually cares like a father cares. We talk a lot about prayer here. And we talk a lot about prayer because we don't think that prayer is just a part of the Christian life. I have discovered and I truly believe in my heart that prayer is the Christian life. How are you going to find out what God wants you to do unless you ask him? How are you going to have hope if you're looking for a job? How are you going to find that job unless you talk to God and ask him to find a job? If you're sick in your body and you need healing, where is that healing going to come from? You have to ask. Prayer is the Christian life. And he has given us his spirit in us, the gift of his spirit in us, so that our relationship with him is so close, we can just say, Daddy, I need this. When I take my grandkids to Walmart, we have a lecture before we go into the store. None of this begging. We're not buying everything. Because they know if they say, can I have that? I'm going to say, you got money? That's always, that's always my line. You got money? No, you got money. No, I don't. You got a credit card. <laughs> but every now and then, we're, we'll be near the candy area or cookies. And they'll say, Poppy. is totally different than the relationship they have with their parents. Our relationship with God is totally different if the Spirit is in you. You have a direct line. And if you have a direct line, why would the only conversation you have with that direct line is, thanks for this food, find me a parking spot, get me out of this trouble. This year, we have some big things laying before us at Harvester. I don't have solutions. I have a roadmap. 
You know what I mean? I have a, a map. But I don't know where it's going to stop. If that is true, we better be talking to God. He knows. He knows what we need for the future. He knows where we need to go. He knows how we're going to get there. If, if the future pastor of this church, he knows who that pastor is. We should be talking to him. That's why we're calling together the whole congregation to pray. Not because we just something else to do at the beginning of the year. We need his direction. And he has given us his spirit. To help us in our prayers. And lastly, he has made us heirs. One day I was in the back room and my kids were talking. And the conversation was about, I have 3,000 vinyl albums. Music. Originals. Everything by Santana. Everything by Hedges. Everything by, I got original Peter, Paul, and Mary. They, they like, my kids like my, my vinyl records. And the discussion was, who's going to get <laughs> the albums when I die? Now, I'm in the other room. <laughs> and so I have to yell out like the old Monty Python film, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'm not, you're discussing my stuff and I'm still alive. To be an heir, somebody has to die. That's the prerequisite. Now, yes, you can write a will, and that's sort of the agreement of what's going to happen, but that will does not come into action until the person dies. And that's sort of what has to happen. We are heirs of everything that God wants for us. And how do we know we're going to get it? Because somebody died. Jesus died on the cross so that when he died, the will went into action and we became recipients of all spiritual blessings and wisdom and insight. Now let's get real. Some of it is waiting for another day. Some of what we get as heirs, we get right now. Isn't it wonderful? It's called the abundant life. That's the good stuff. That's like a little down payment. It's like an allowance from our airship he gives us right now. It's called the abundant life. Access to the spirit, access to his word, he, he, he gives us. But the full payout is going to come on that day when I leave this body and I go into his presence and I stand before his throne, then I will know the fullness of what it means to be an heir of Jesus Christ and a co-heir with him. Beloved, beloved, right now the Bible says, right now, right now, we are the children of God. Amen? But it does not yet appear what we shall be. Doesn't look like it. That's what it's saying. Right now we are, doesn't look like it. Right now we are, doesn't look like. But when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him just as he is. But that's not my favorite part of that verse. Whoever has this hope purifies himself 
If I was going to be the heir of everything God wants, would I want to do anything that would disqualify me from receiving it? I think of all these football players and, and basketball players, all this money, all they have to do is stay sober, stay out of jail, now, and, and they forfeit it all because they, they're at a bar at 3 o'clock in the morning. Duh. Man, if, if, if I had access to all of that, I would live my life in such a way as not to disqualify myself from everything I was about to inherit. But why would I want to run a race as long and hard as it is to, at the finish line, just drop the baton? When I think about what Christ has for me, it purifies me. He says, why do you think you're happy ever? You don't want to be disqualified in the last round. We are heirs. And the bonus of our heirship is yet to come. We just got to hold on. Not grow weary. In due time, we'll reap. We'll reap if we don't faint. He has given us redemption. He has given us freedom. We have been adopted into his family. And he's made us heirs. We need to constantly thank God for his wonderful gift. I don't know about you. I like a lot of stuff. But I am so glad I'm saved. I don't know about you. I am glad I'm saved. That's the gift that I want to remember this year. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything you've given us. Oh Lord, help us to finish strong to rejoice in our redemption, to rejoice in our freedom from sin, to rejoice in our fact that we've been adopted into your family, that we have been made heirs of your promise. We thank you, Lord, for that. But we also assume the obligations of loving you, loving the world, and making disciples. We pray these things, therefore, Lord, in your name.